0: As, as we grow up in the Lord, as we come into, into maturity, we, we, you, know, you need to understand who you are in the Lord, your identity in Christ, that, that when God looks at you, he doesn't look at a sinner, he looks at a saint. And that's how he sees you. I mean, I mean, saint was like, that was Paul's favorite word for believers. It was holy ones. He, didn't, he, he never called the people of God sinners. I mean, the only time he used to sin, he talked about himself as a sinner, but yet he, he actually, that reference was like in his life before he gave his life to, to Jesus. It's like when he wasn't following Christ. And it's, and it's like when God looks at you, he looks at the, that you are righteous, you are holy. I mean, God looks at who you are in your identity. And oftentimes we look at ourselves based upon who we were, not according to who we are. Because when the scripture says that you are a new creature, a new creation, it says that the old is gone. And just because you have a mindset that's in agreement with old doesn't mean the old is still there. It's, your, your new self is, is who you are. You have this true, this new identity that you have when God looks at you, that you are righteous and you are holy. Because you're united with the one who is righteous and who is holy. I mean, you're so united with him that everything that he did, you did. That's why the Bible says you're buried with him. You're raised with him. You're seated with him in the heavenly places. And not that you will be, but that you are seated with him in the heavenly places. I mean, this is your true identity of who you really are. And we have to and that's why we have to renew our mind to come in agreement with the truth of who we are and our true identity. Otherwise we'll simply think that we're simply a sinner, saved by grace, which by the way, you'll never find that phrase in the Bible. <laughs> you are a saint, and you are righteous and you're holy. Now, the process of maturity is the process, as, as in, like in Ephesians chapter 4, 23 and 24, where it talks about you know, our true identity of who, who, who we are in the Lord, that we are you know, that we're righteous, we're created in his image and things like that. But what we're doing, we're putting off who we aren't and putting on who we are. We put on the new self. We put on, in other words, we begin to walk out our true identity and who we really are. But it's a process of shedding who we're not. And we call that process just maturity. <laughs> it's a process as we come into maturity where we begin to shift our mind and our thinking to come into an agreement with our true identity as to who we are in the Lord. And But the process of coming into that means I have to begin to knock off the things that are not, that are not really me, but yet they're still stuck in my, in my mindset and so I have to renew my mind. The other thing we're having to do, we have to begin to cast off anything that the enemy put on us that we didn't know that is on us. Which means we have to break off the things. Every, every. In other words, the only way the enemy can affect our lives is if he's got an open door to us. You know. We, in other words, in Ephesians four twenty seven talks about that we are to, you know simply don't open the door to the enemy. Do not give the devil an opportunity, it says. Don't give him a place. In other words, don't crack the door open and let him come in. And, And some things are there by our volition, and some things are there simply because we've been taken advantage of by the enemy whose strength happens to be deception. He's just really good at deceiving. And he's really good at it. And a lot of times, he, you know, we have thoughts that are not our thoughts, and it's, it's about addressing those thoughts and recognizing when we do have thoughts that are not our thoughts. And a lot of it is just simply unraveling all of those inroads. So this morning, we're going to kind of, we're going to talk about some of the areas that the enemy takes advantage of us that we may not be fully aware that he has done so to kind of play into his scheme, because he's a schemer. You know, that word scheme really is the Greek word odios, and the word ode is the word oda, which is the word road. We get our word odometer from that. But it basically means with the road or with a plan. In other words, he just doesn't haphazardly does things. He, he, he simply has a method in which he does things. Yeah, methodius is that word. And so he, he simply, you know, has, has a process that seems to work quite a bit. But we don't have to be under that. So we're going to talk about four of those areas today, all right? Uh, so anybody got notes? So you'll have the verses that I'll be covering in here. Uh, the, I'll be getting to them. So, all right. Whatever you come into an agreement with, you will empower. Empower. If you come into an agreement with the words of heaven, you empower those. If you come in agreement with the words of hell, you empower those. But whatever you come into an agreement with, you you will empower that. Okay? Uh, We find this in the book of Genesis chapter 11. There's the Tower of Babel. Uh, It says there in verse 1 that the whole earth used the same language and the same words. And then in verse 6, interesting, this is what the Lord said. The Lord said, Behold, they are one people... They all have the same language, and this is what they began to do, and now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Now, their agenda was not a holy agenda, was it? I mean, it wasn't God's agenda. It was, I mean, it wasn't God's plan. It wasn't what God wanted. But God says this, that if these people can come into an agreement, nothing is impossible for them, even if the agenda is not God's agenda. And what, 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 what fulfills that happens to be agreement. Because they were, there was agreement, they were able to do something that seemed impossible but made it possible all because they were in agreement. That is the power of agreement. By the way, just think about it. If the church could ever get on the same page and be in agreement, we would be an unstoppable force. I mean, when you think about, you know, just the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17, I mean, not all the prayers of Jesus were recorded, but this one was, and, and, and this one was recorded. I think that's what the Father wants to do when you, when you think so. <laughs> uh, I think so. And, and in that, he, you know, he talked about being one as we are one so that the world will know that you love them. So that, 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 that the Father wants to, wants to accomplish that so much. In fact, if you look at just that, that next passage there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, I urge you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all say the same thing. That there be no divisions among you, that you be united in the same, you know, with the same understanding, and with the same conviction. You'll find a similar passage in Philippians 2, too. And, and here he's, he's talking to what, what we would characterize as a really fleshly church. I mean... Would that be true with the the Church of Corinth? Have you read, have you read that book, 1 Corinthians? I mean, he's always getting onto these guys for being fleshly. Okay, so some people say, well, you know, you know, we can't help it. We're just going we're just kind of this way. Well, don't, do not come into an agreement with the current state of the church, because all you do is reinforce that current state. You need to come in agreement with the way God said the church is supposed to be. You know, which he said in Ephesians somewhere. You know that this 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 bride which is. You know, holy, pure, unblemished, that's the one that he's presenting to the Father. Okay, that's another message. i got to stop on that one there, okay? But you, you, you basically get what I'm, what, what I'm saying here. It's very significant that we all be one because there's power in agreement. So that's the principle. Whatever you come into an agreement with, you will empower. Also understand this about words. Words have substance and assignments, Substances and assignments. Now, just to illustrate this uh, in uh, the book of Genesis chapter 27, Is the story about, about Isaac and his two sons, Esau and Jacob. And he's going to give Esau the blessing because Esau was the oldest. So he calls Esau in and he says, Now, Esau, I want you to go out there and I want you just to, you know kill that animal, make my favorite stew, come on in, and then I'll give you the blessing. So Esau went out to, to hunt, to kill something. He was kind of like the manly guy, right? But Jacob believed that he he deserved that birthright because Esau had sold it to him. So Jacob and his mom conspired while Esau was out hunting to, to take, it from, take it from Isaac. And so you know, she fixed the stew because, and I'm sure Jacob, I don't know, he might have, he might have been a cook. I don't know. You know, he, but he was a mama's boy. We'll have to pretty much agree on that one there. All right. He, he comes in and he said, hey, dad, here I am. Of course, Isaac couldn't see very well. His ear, hearing wasn't that good either. And he, he's like, you know, like, is this, you know, are, are, are you, are, are you Esau? And of course, you know, he knew that, Jacob, he wasn't hairy, but Esau was hairy, so they tied animal skins around his arm. I mean, don't you know that Esau? That guy was a hairy guy. I mean, <laughs> we're talking wolf man or something. I don't know. So he, he goes, are you sure? And he reaches over and he grabs his arms and goes, oh, yeah. okay. And then he gives him this blessing. Jacob goes out, packs his bags, and he runs away because, you know, Esau, Esau's probably the manly guy, he's going to win in any kind of wrestling match. And so he takes off. Esau comes in, and Esau said, Dad, here I am. I'm here for the blessing, and here's the stew. And, and, and all of a sudden Isaac realized, oh, no, oh, I made a mistake. He goes, oh, I, I, gave, I gave the blessing to your brother. And Esau said, yeah, that's okay, Dad. You know, you go ahead and just give it to me. And Isaac said, no, you don't understand. I gave it. When those words left his mouth, those words had substance, and they had assignments. He couldn't take those things back like that and, and give the blessing to it. Words are, are that powerful. I mean, just sometime, we're not, we're not going to look in James chapter 3, but if you just went to, to James chapter 3, it talks about the power of the tongue. I mean, how it can set a force on fire. How it can curse or... It, it can bless. It talks about that it can that it can, that it can determine direction because it's like a bit in a horse's mouth or a rudder that's on a ship. It, it can determine the direction of a person's life. I mean, it's it's the tongue is very very powerful, and and words they carry in the power to fulfill an assignment in which they were sent to do. I mean, Jesus curses a fig tree, comes back the next day and it's cursed. It came. The, those words came right up, out of his mouth. They, they had an assignment, and they were fulfilled. In the book of Numbers, chapter 22 and 23, happens to be the story of Balaam. You remember, you know, Balaam? Uh, Bala- Balaam was a prophet, and King Balak... Uh, that verse isn't in there. So King Balak was, was uh, you know, he, he had these hordes of Israel walking through his land, and he didn't like these millions of Israelites going through his land, so he wanted to curse them. And he knew this, whom Balaam blessed were blessed, and who Balaam cursed was cursed. So he hired Balaam to come curse the people of Israel. And, of course, you remember the story in Numbers 22 and 23, that he had a, an angelic encounter on the way over there. Actually, his donkey had an angelic encounter the donkey saw the angel wasn't going to go, and so he decided to get out and just beat the crap out of his donkey. And then the donkey got, gave the donkey the ability to speak to Balaam. Now, that would shake you up. I mean, <laughs> it shook him up, you know. Anyway, end of the story, he gets over there, and he, he couldn't curse the people of Israel. He ends up blessing them. And of course, Balak's mad. He's like, what are you doing? I paid you to curse them, not bless them. But God would not allow his people. To be cursed. Because words have substance and they have an assignment. They have a mission for which they were sent to do. Now understand this. The enemy has no power over you. I mean, Colossians 2, you know, 14 and 15. He's been rendered powerless of all of his authority. He's been stripped of his authority. He has nothing on you. No power over you. No authority over you. The only authority he has over you is what you give him. And if he can get you to come into an agreement with his lies, then you've given him your authority. The words from hell that are spoken by other people to us will speak into our worth, our destiny, our value, our significance. The words of hell will be like, you're good for nothing. You're worthless. No one likes you. You'll never find a spouse. You're nothing but a loser. The words from heaven are going to speak into those same areas, but the words of heaven are going to speak in your true identity. They're going to talk about that you're loved, you're important. You're destined for greatness. That, you know, that's found in Jeremiah 29 and 11. You are beautiful. You are precious. The words of hell, I hate you, you're no good, you should never have been born, you're, you're stupid, you're undesirable, nobody will ever want you. And and if we come into an agreement with those lies, then we then we've come into an agreement with the assignment with those words and, and give the enemy really the permission to fulfill those assignments that's with those words. For example, if, if a parent tells their child they're stupid, even that ch- though that child's not stupid, I mean, that child, when, the, when those words come with the child, what, what are they going to do? Are, are, you know, they, they can reject those words, but the, but the truth is somebody in authority just spoke those words over them, so therefore it must be true. They come into an agreement with those words, and even though they're not stupid, they become stupid because they simply have given permission for that assignment to be fulfilled. And hopefully, you know, later on, they'll wake up, smell the coffee and go, "You know, I'm not stupid." You know, and they can actually just cancel those, the power of those words. But oftentimes, we become the product of the words that are, that are spoken over us. And, and we're, also, we're also the product of the words that we speak over ourselves. See, we don't always recognize when we have thoughts that are not our thoughts. Because they, they sound like us. You know, we we, oftentimes we call that temptation because he's actually gives us a thought to do something that is not our thought, but we think it's our thought. But we have these thoughts that come into our heads, things like, I just can't change. I, I can't ever win. I can't ever find victory. Everything is, is hopeless. I'm nothing but a loser. Everybody hates me. And when we begin to, to say those things and, you know, think those things over ourselves, then we come into an agreement with those words. And it becomes like a vow, oftentimes, that we'll e- even speak over ourselves. I will never do this. I will never change over my dead body, you know. And we, so we speak these things over us. We become the product of the words that people say over us that we receive and come to an agreement with. And the words we say over ourselves. I had a guy in my church one time who was, uh, when, we, when we found this guy, he was like, he'd walked away from the Lord. He'd been, he'd been actually a, a leader in a church at one time, but he walked away from the Lord. He actually lost everything, lost his family. Uh, he, he got back on drugs. So he was, he was not in a good place. When we found him, we began to restore him, bring him back to the Lord. He's walking with the Lord. And now he's getting to the place where he wants to serve the Lord. And then, and then he, what he does, he comes, he comes to me one day and he says, I think I'm supposed to go back to my old church. I said, well, tell me why you think that. He says, well, he says that the old man in that church, and I knew that old man, he said, that old man in that church was my spiritual father. He led me to the Lord. He discipled me. He grew up. And, and I was like you know one of the associates in that particular church. He said, but the man had a different, he had a weird theology that I really come and couldn't come into an agreement with. And I knew the guy and I knew the weird theology. So I was, I was familiar. It really was kind of quirky, you know. And he says, I was having a difficult time with, it. in fact, so much that, that I, I really couldn't serve there anymore. So he said, I sat down one day and had a meeting with him and says, you know, this is not, this is not working. I'm always bothered by this. He, he, he said, uh, he says, so what I'm going to do, I'm just going to, I'm going to just, I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want to cause a scene. So what I'm going to do, I'm just going to step out of leadership and just, and just attend for a while. And then, and then I'm just going to kind of fade out of the church. He said that old man got mad and yelled at him and said, God will never use you apart from this church. I said, buddy, you were under a curse. (laughs) And you see, now he's growing in the Lord. Now he wants to serve God. And all he heard were those words, God will never use you apart from this church. He wanted to be used by God, so now he felt like I have to go back. You know, even spiritual leaders can do this in their ignorance. You know, they can actually curse their, their own flock. You know, Any, he will use anybody to do that. So whatever we come to an agreement, we, we empower. You know, Scripture addresses certain specific areas like criticizing, complaining, judging. Complaining is nothing more than just the worship language of hell. I mean, it sent the people of Israel into the wilderness. You know, they stayed there for 40 years because of their complaining. Because they actually came to agreement and not received the promise of God. I have a really good friend of mine. Uh, her name is Susan Starr. And Susan was was healed. Uh, 2010, she was healed. I, uh, we were doing a conference in uh, North Carolina. It was with Randy and John Arnott and myself were doing a conference there and. And, and Susan, about eight months before, um, now she, her, in her history, she had like septic shock, you know, lost about two-thirds of her colon, recovered from that. But, but she had this, her autonomic nervous system basically broke down. She had it's, it's called dysautonomia. Your autonomic nervous system, that's the thing that controls like your heartbeat, your temperature, your breathing, all that stuff that, that runs automatically that you don't have to pay attention to. So that was broke. So she was taking like 30 to 60 pills a day. It's terminal. She was dying. She was in hospice. Like they gave her another like three weeks to live when we, you know, for the conference. But like eight, seven months earlier, she was in her hospital room. She was had a small surgery. She'd already lost her short-term memory. And during the night, she, she wrote down Randy Clark's name down five times and didn't know who Randy Clark was. And asked, she thought it was a doctor she was supposed to make an appointment with. Nobody in the hospital knew. Finally, she talked to her friend. Do you know Randy Clark? She goes, oh, yeah, he has, has this healing ministry. And she goes, okay, maybe God's in this thing. Well, she found out he's going to be in her, in her city, you know, just in about, you know, eight or nine months later. And so she shows up at this thing. The first day, she, they have her on the pallet on the floor, and she's not, I mean, she couldn't. she lasted 90 minutes on that day. And went home. Next day, she tried to come up. You know, she she had this like, you know, when you, when you don't have the, all that colon there, she had like, you know, diarrhea like 16, 17 times a day, just explosive. And so she had a, you know, she had a, one of those explosive events. on her car coming over there, had to go home and change clothes. Wasn't going to come. Her her friend says, "You get over here. This is going to be the day of your healing." So she comes over, and uh, makes her way over there. She missed the first session, which I was teaching, and uh, and then Randy was teaching the next. But she wasn't gonna last. So they said, Rodney, would you pray for her? So I prayed for her. And was just, you know, I didn't really know that was really wrong with her, but when I prayed for her, God just came on her and he instantly completely healed her. I mean, totally completely healed her. So so she so she's now now she's completely completely healed, you know, gives her testimony later on, like, you know, I haven't had I haven't I haven't gone number two in like three days, you know, <laughs> you know, we're kind of like, Oh no, you know, too much information. But for her, that was exciting. You know, cause when you have, when you have diarrhea, you know, 16, 17 times a day, but she was completely healed. I mean, completely healed. And then all of a sudden she has this healing ministry that cause the glory of the Lord comes on her. I mean, it's, it's like, I don't know, you may have some issues with this, but she, her hair turned gold, and, and she dyed it back black. And she, it did this like three times. She ends up leading her hairdresser to the Lord. She goes, what is this gold stuff? You know, because it's all over here. She's got gold dust on her, on her front lawn. The UPS guy goes, what is this stuff on here? She just has this anointing. And then she has this amazing healing ministry. I think she has seen more pe- terminal people healed just than anybody I, I know. I mean, she goes to Ruth Randy Clark to Brazil. And, you know, right after that, you know, first people she prays for has a little boy, the brain tumor, it, it goes. She, the boy comes with club feet. He actually brought tennis shoes so he could run. He had just had this faith, and he was healed, and now he's running around the church. I mean, she just has this strong healing and ministry. And what, what would happen as she starts to pray for people, her hands get so hot. I mean, they get so hot. It's like, I know I'm supposed to be praying for the sick because my hands get, get, get so hot. And uh, she had to get used to the supernatural stuff, uh, which wasn't like her norm, because she went, came from like a cessationist church that didn't believe in stuff. And so, so she didn't know what to do with all the... I got more stories, but it's really, it's really so funny. But anyway, so what she, her hands would get really, really hot. And, and so, so, so she, you know, here it was, it was the first Thanksgiving you know, since she was healed and she's having all the family over. They, they'd given away all of her winter clothes, by the way, because th- she wasn't going to live, you know. Now she's alive, you know. So she, here she is in the in the house, and and so she's fixing Thanksgiving dinner for everybody, and she says, all my relatives start coming over, and there's so many sick people in there. All of a sudden, their hands start getting so hot, so hot. She goes, I can't finish this. I'm going to burn everything because... You know, I can't finish thing because my hands are so hot. She said, but I found this one thing that whenever I get around complaining, it shuts it down. So she pulled in her nephew, who's the most negative person in the world. And she says, how's life? <laughs> she said it shut it down. My hands cooled and I was able to finish <laughs> finished dinner. <laughs> That's the power of complaining. It shuts down the anointing. You see, our words can either empower angels or empower demons. Look at, the, look at this, this verse in Matthew chapter 12. And I say to you that every careless word that men shall speak, they shall render account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. Now think about that. Every careless word. You have any of those in your life? (laughs) In other words, words are like eternal in nature. They have substance, and they basically, when they go out, they are there. They are there. Like, you're going to revisit those someday. I want you to think about this. You know, the devil doesn't have access to the throne of heaven anymore. Are we good with that one? You know, he, like he fell, he doesn't have access to the throne of heaven anymore. But he's still the accuser of the brethren. Guess how he accuses the brethren before God? Because the saints have access to the throne of God. In our access to the throne of God, we can accuse the brethren in the presence of God. He doesn't have to be there. All he knows is that we have access and everything that comes out of us, we're right there in his presence. He will accuse, be the accuser of the brethren through our words. My dad pastored in Tulsa back in the 80s for about a few years, a very large Baptist church there. When he went to it, they were in crisis. He would kind of worked them through crisis. When you work a church through crisis, you make a lot of people unhappy because they're already unhappy when, before you get there. And so he basically was bringing order. My dad was really good at bringing order to things. He was the uh, like the director of evangelism for the whole Southern Baptist Convention, you know, for many, many years. He... He was the director of all of the, exact director of all the churches in the state of California for, you know, about 10 years or so. I mean, my dad, that's kind of my my dad. He, he just brought order to where there was chaos. I mean, he was, that was, he was really good at that. And uh, so he was bringing order to this church, and he said, boy, we were feeling the oppression because... You know, we had all this negativity that was coming at us all the time. He says what shifted the atmosphere for us is that our leaders, our elders would get together and we would pray every Sunday morning. And what we would do in our prayers, we would break every curse of words that was sent against us. Because he said, we know it's coming from the world, it's coming from the things in the city, and it's coming from our own church members. He said what shifted the atmosphere and broke things off of us is that we broke every curse, every word, every negative word, we just began to break that off of us. And that's a habit that I, you know, that I even followed even in my, in my own churches here. Look, look at these passages right here. We kind of alluded to these last night, okay? Uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 27 says, But I say to you, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse, curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. And the reason we do that, verse 35, love your enemies, do good, lend, expect nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He Himself is kind and ungrateful to to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and then you will be pardoned. And then verse 38, which understand, you see the context, okay? The context, this is in the area of judging and condemning. It says, give and it shall be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, they will pour into your lap. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. So what comes out of you comes back to you in a greater fashion than when it left you. So if cursing is going out, from you, then cursing's coming back to you. In other words, though, that assignment comes out, then has a return of an assignment from hell to come back to you in a greater fashion when it left you. When judgment comes out, it comes back to you. If somebody tells me, you know, I feel like everybody judges me. You know what, what how, how I respond to that? I said, well, who have you judged? Because it's come out of you. It's coming back on you. you condemning, it's You know, if you feel condemned all the time, this probably condemnation has been coming out of you. But the good news is, when blessing goes out, guess what comes back? I mean, when love, compassion, I mean, when all that blessing comes out of you, that's what's coming back to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. You just get to decide what kind of harvest that you get to walk in. That's why he said, bless those, you know. The good news is, is that Jesus basically became our curse, you know, uh, in our behalf. That Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, that says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, "Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And And since Christ became a curse in our behalf then therefore we have the right to break any curse that the enemy would send against us. That's the good news. It also means that we have the right to simply tear down any curse that left left our mouth because we, we can actually take authority over that, put that down to the ground, and return a blessing on those so that a cursing does not come back on us. We can actually obliterate that assignment that we sent, and we can create a new assignment of blessing that can come back upon us. This is why Paul the Apostle said this in Ephesians 4.29. Look at this. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Okay, do you see the word no there? You might want to circle the word no. It didn't say, let a few, one or two won't hurt. And I said, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. I like what Bill Johnson says. He says, our church is on a negativity fast. Fasting negativity, I think that's a good fast to go on, don't you think? I mean you can still eat and go on that fast. That's my kind of fast. (laughs) So this is what we're going to do. We're going to break every curse sent against you, okay? We're going to take authority over that right now. Are we we good with that? All right. So put your notes down. Stand up. Get used to this. We're going to do this a few times today. Repeat after me. In the, name of Jesus, In the name of Jesus, I break every curse of words, I break every curse of words that's against me. against me. I take every word captive, I every word captive that I've spoke over, me, that I spoke, over me, that spoke over me, that others spoke over me, and I break the power of those curses from hell. Curses from I, cancel I cancel every assignment of darkness. I cast them to the ground. I to the ground. And, I and I call a blessing. To follow me in their place. To me in their place. I take back every curse. Back every curse that, I've that I've spoken against another. I cast those words down to the ground. I, cast those words down to the ground. I return a blessing on those. With whom I've cursed. cursed. Jesus took my cursing. cursing. So So I can live in blessing. Okay. Very simple. Why don't you go ahead and be seated. Now, typically what happens over the next few days, what will come to your mind are words that people have spoken over you or you've spoken over yourself. I know as I talk, some of you had some thoughts like that coming to your brain. If those words come back to you, the first thing you're going to think, oh, no, the devil's messing with me again. But it may not be the devil at all. It may actually be the Holy Spirit <laughs> who's, saying, who's saying to you, I want you to specifically take those words captive. So he may bring some specific things to you that he wants you to take captive. It could be something a boss said to you. It could be something that your spouse said to you, your parents said to you, somebody else said to you. It just kind of, you know, it just continues to come up to your brain, and you actually entertain that. He may, he may pull that one out and say, specifically, I want you to take authority over this, okay? So you have, the, you have that prayer there, you know, you can take that home, and And if you need to use that as a help, do that. Uh, Next in your notes, it says removing a a slime from a fear bond. We're not going to cover that. We'll cover that next. Uh, Not next, but uh, in just a minute. Let's go to soul ties there. Let's go to soul ties. Here we go. I was introduced to this topic of soul ties uh, by Peter Lord, who was a a pastor in uh, Florida. Uh, he's an older guy. He's get, written some great books that we just love that aren't people, that aren't, they're not circulated <laughs> anymore. His book on Hearing God is amazing. One on turkeys and eagles is really good. But um, he was just one of these guys that actually spoke in, a lot into our life. So, so we're at this retreat. This was like in the, in the, you know, in the 80s, like 87, 88, right around there. We're pastoring up in the Northwest. Up in, the, up in Washington State, in the Seattle area. So he comes, he comes in and does a retreat for ministers, and he teaches on this topic of soul ties. And when he teaches on it, it's like the first time we've ever heard it. And, uh, you know, we get back to the church, and uh, Mary's meeting with some of the ladies in the church, kind of shares this with some of the ladies there. And, and ab- 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 about a week or so later, uh, I'm having a men's breakfast in a local restaurant, and and you know we it, we have breakfast we share a little bit of the word everybody leaves but there's one this one young guy who just he sticks around and I'm not wondering why why is this guy sticking around so he waits till everybody's gone i said so what's on your mind he says well your wife was talking to my wife and she was talking about this soul tie stuff. And, well, you know, when I was in college, I had this, you know, this relationship with this person and, you know, it was, it was, it was sexual and so my wife says I have to take care of that. So I'm here to do that. So he's not like he's this real, you know, he wasn't excited to do this, he was, he he was more reluctant than like a willing, re, you know, recruit, recruit to do this thing. I said, okay. So just, I just let him in this very simple prayer, you know, that in the name of Jesus, I send back to this person everything I took in this one flesh union. And I call back to me everything that I gave in this one flesh union, and I just plead the blood of Jesus to stand between us. He stopped and he goes, whoa, I felt that. Of course, I'm like, you did, like you know, <laughs> like it, like it worked, you know. <laughs> well, just, well, just look at this. Look, look at this, because, you know, th- this is basically one reason. Let's say, for example, that, a, you know, we, I had some some friends in, in college that had a sexual relationship. And even though this person knew this was not right, that's a, that's, that I, you know, they shouldn't be attached to this unbeliever, they couldn't help themselves. Like every time she went with somebody, she actually came back because that was the person where she had a soul tie. And because of that, she seemed to find herself always attracted back to this person, and it's because there was a knitting of the souls that took place. So let's kind of see how that, how that happens. You know, uh, Genesis chapter 2, 23 and 24. The man said, Now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she's taken out a man. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and his mother shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Okay, we, we see this passage also used, you know, Matthew chapter 19, also Mark 10, <laughs> Ephesians 5. You know, Jesus would add, uh, consequently, they're no longer two, but one flesh, and what God has joined together let no man separate. So when we look at that, especially in the context in which Jesus gave it, you know, we would think, well, you know, he's talking about marriage, and I think he is talking about marriage. He's talking about entering into a covenant of marriage. And so we could presume that the one flesh takes place when two people get married and join together sexually, that then they become this one flesh. And we can pretty much presume that if it weren't for Paul... They kind of let us see something a little different, okay? Because Paul would say this in 1 Corinthians 6, 16, Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a harlot is one body with her? For for, For he says the two will become one flesh. Well, the harlot means there's not a covenant here. Basically, what Paul is saying here is that sex... Entering into sex puts you in a one flesh with a person, with or without covenant. Sex will do that. He would say this in two verses down in verse 18. Run away from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. You know, there's some sin that you can resist, and there's some sin you run away. Now, run away is... I mean that is an action. Can you can you picture running away? Okay, that's not. I'll just resist. No, this is this is run. You know, and the reason is because God created us as sexual beings. He created us to have sex. In other words, He designed us in that way. And so what happens is, is that. You know, whenever we get married or we come into a covenant, because basically God is going to show you his ideals of the way he said it because God is not going to suspend his ways in order to accommodate sin. So he's not going to talk about how to get out of stuff. You know, it's, He's going to talk about the way he designed it. And so what happens whenever we come in, into a relationship, in a covenant relationship with another person, and then we join ourselves sexually, that means we come knit to that person body, soul, and spirit. And then whenever we, of course, pull away you know, physically, we're still knitted to that person. And God designed it in such a way that, you know, that we would simply engage in this activity our whole life, our whole married life. So what happens is that as we continue to engage in that activity, this is the thing that keeps us connected and knitted to each other. So actually, it's a blessing for those of us who are married. In the marriage context... It is a blessing, but it is a curse when it's outside of the marriage context. And the other thing that happens is that whenever I engage in this illegal sexual activity, I'm also opening myself up because I've come one flesh with that person. I'm also opening myself up to what they carry. So it's, and that's not a good thing. (laughs) Okay? Now, I know at this point some people are freaking out, you know, especially because if they're like married to an unbeliever and they go, oh no. Oh no. I'm getting their cooties. Uh, I, have a, I have a good verse for you. It, it's, it's, a really, it's, it's a really good verse. It, it is found in 2 Corinthians 7.15 that says that the unbelieving spouse is sanctified by the believing one. You see, in the old covenant, you abstain from darkness, otherwise it would, it would mess with you. In the new covenant, you can actually, you know, Confront the darkness. Well, it's like in the old covenant, you didn't touch the lepers or you get leprosy. In the new covenant, you can touch the lepers and they're healed. In other words, you actually can penetrate the darkness. Now, the problem is that if you're engaging in illegal sex, you're not covering, you're protecting yourself. You're not saying, okay, before we do this, can we just have, can we pray? Lord would you just protect us now and you're not, I mean you're not doing that whenever you're engaging in something illegal and so actually you're opening yourself up to what that other person is carrying but now that but if you're in the Lord and you happen to find yourself with with an unbelieving spouse realize what you carry you can actually give to them you don't have to get their dark gar- garbage you can actually give them your light and all of this is going to depend on what you're, if you're receiving or, 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 or if you realize when you know who you are and what you carry, you can actually bring that into the relationship. And all of a sudden, the spouse gets impacted by what you carry, and you don't get impacted by what they carry. Okay? So that's good news, you know, in case you find yourself in that particular situation. Okay? Some people actually find themselves in bondage in a one-sided soul bond not not out of a, not an exchange okay now when we engage physically then there's the exchange but there's but if a person can be actually in bondage a soul bond to fantasy and that's one-sided. So that, that fantasy is, is not actually, there's not been an exchange there because it is a fantasy. But they still have given themselves over to that fantasy <laughs> and engaged in that fantasy. And they still need to break the soul tie with that, with that fantasy and call back what they've given you know, to, that, to that fantasy. Okay? Okay, we're not going to do that particular prayer. I don't have one of those written out. But we're, but we're going to do the other one. But let's, let's get to the good news here. Uh, Psalm 23, verse 8, says this, that God restores my soul. In other words, God is in the business of restoring souls. This, this passage in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 says, May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and your soul and your body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So When we look at those two verses there, we can see God is in the business of taking what has been broken and bringing restoration to it. So just look at this paragraph right there. Since restoration of the soul is the intention of the Lord, then there must be a way to bring restoration of the soul that has been fragmented in unholy soulish relationships. Based on the intention of God for soul restoration and the dilemma of soul fragmentation of unholy sexual unions, we deduce God grants permission and authority to call our souls into holy alignment. We can confidently ask the Lord to restore our souls into wholeness. We can ask the Lord to restore what we have lost Or what has been given away that rightfully belongs to us. And send away that which isn't ours to keep. So if we can actually undo the stuff that we have done. And bring us back into a place of wholeness. So what we're going to do is that we're going to. Do this little prayer here and break off uh, anything and bring us back into alignments. Okay? Break any soul tie that we have. We're all going to do this together because I'm not going to say all who need to do this stand. (laughs) Do not say the name of the person. Just say this person. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> we're we're, we're going to do that. Uh, if you are separated and there is a chance of reconciliation, I say, don't do this. But if you've divorced, you've separated, you've gone your own ways, you're living your own life, yes, then, you, then go ahead and, and do that and, and break, that, break that off. Uh, you do one at a time. So that means if you've got to do this, if, in other words, if you've got multiple people in your life, this, they just think of the one you're going to break off, and then when you spend some time with God, uh, by the way, He can, he can bring everyone else that He wants you to break that off of your mind, okay? So we do this one at a time. After, I, after we learned this, we, we had a, in our church, we had the, like the women's aglow that met, and they had a guest speaker that, that came out of prostitution. And she actually taught on this. And what she said that the Lord brought back every John, either by face or by name, and she broke the soul tie. She said, I had lost myself. I had lost my identity in who I was. And God restored me. Now, I, you know, I've, I've done this teaching, like you know, with a lot of people come out of prostitution. And I've said, God may not do that for you. So don't, don't bring, your, bring yourself under condemnation with that. Just basically every person that God brings back to your mind. And, the, and his grace and mercy covers the rest, okay? But we do it one at a time, one at a time. So a lot of times, you know, especially when I've, I've taught this with men, it's like, okay, we're going to take about 30 minutes for you to just get out by yourself, you know? <laughs> and, we're, and, just, and we're just going to break this stuff off, okay? So are, are, are we good with that? Oh, by the way, if your spouse is deceased, uh, according to Romans chapter 7, when there's a death, the covenant is like, you know, broken. If your spouse is deceased, I don't think that you have to do it. Because I think the death has actually done that. However, I was teaching this one time in Southern California in Camarillo and an older 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 lady comes up to me. She says, you know, after, when my husband died, I couldn't get over it. I mean, I grieved and grieved way beyond the time I should be grieving. She says, "And, and but when I broke the soul tie, I was able to move on. So, I say this. I don't think you have to if your spouse has died, but if it's helpful, you can. Okay? Are we good? Put your notes down, stand up. Repeat after me. In the authority of Jesus, In the authority of Jesus. I plead the blood of Jesus to stand between me and this person and separate the one flesh union. I send back to them everything I've taken from them when I became one flesh with them. I call back to me everything that I gave in this one flesh union. I declare the blood of Jesus to be, a wall of us. to be a wall of separation between us. Thank you, Jesus, Thank you, Jesus. For, restoring for restoring my soul. Okay, you can be seated. I was in England uh, years ago and I taught on this. A lady comes up to me later, she goes, Oh no, I misunderstood. I broke the soul tie with my husband. <laughs> I said, "That's that's okay. You, you can fix that tonight." <laughs> All right. Uh, I want to talk. I, I don't have any teaching notes for this removing the slime from a fear bond, but I, I want to talk about that. <laughs> when we grow up, we grow we grow up in either in a in an atmosphere, a home where either we're it's an, either a, a place of love or a place of fear. A place of love, you know, we actually learn how to live in love bonds. In other words, we're basically in a place with that we're loved. When we're in a place where we are loved, it's a place where I can be who I am. In other words, my true identity can come out because it's actually it's a place that actually pulls out who you are, pulls out your greatness, pulls out your goodness, pulls out your identity. But a lot of us actually grew up in in homes that it was fear. In other words, there was an oppression of fear. It was performance and things like that, and it was all about this performance stuff. So, so actually, I learned to live out of fear, to become who you wanted me to become, so therefore, my true identity could never come out, because I'm simply trying to please you to be who you want me to be. And so a lot of us are conditioned, you know, with, with, with either fear or with love. Now, of course, the church is supposed to be a place where you should be, you know, where, where love bonds should be here. In other words, where we're actually you know, trying to pull out your goodness, your greatness, the gold that's inside of you. you, know, who God made you, how he designed you, your destiny. And so therefore, it's supposed to be this place of love where I accept you unconditionally. And that means that in this place of being accepted unconditionally, I can actually fail because I know that even though I fail, you still love me. But yet we learn from our failures. We actually grow from our failures. And it is failure that actually reveals what's broken inside of us. And so it's a place I can actually give attention to the brokenness that's inside of me because I know that you're not going to reject me, you know, because I'm not, I'm not having to perform or be somebody for you. Now, in, in a fear bond, we are actually becoming somebody for somebody else. In other words, I don't know. I want I, to be accepted by you, and I don't want you to, to jump on me or whatever, so therefore I'm going to be who you want me to be. So my true self can't come out because it's not safe for my true self to come out. Because if I really wanted to say something back to you, I I would get crushed because of that. And what happens, some of us are conditioned for fear bonds, even though we might even be in a love bond relationship. So God has to work on us. Now, that's a whole different message, by the way. Okay, I'm not getting into that one. You know, if I come back, maybe I can talk about that a lot more. But what I'm I'm saying in this is that there are some people that are so much into the fear bond, that's how they relate to other people. So what happens is that they control people. They dominate people. They manipulate people. They oppress people. And so what happens when you get next to that person, even if you grew up in a love bond, you can actually be oppressed because of their fear bond, and sometimes even that oppression could even be demonic. It can just hold you in bondage. In other words, it's like, I'm, I don't want to go talk to this person because I'm, th- this is a scary, I'm like in fear. I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what they're going to say to me. They're just going to blast me. They're going to spew all over me. So therefore, I'm just going to play it safe when I get around that person. That person could be like a, like a controlling, could be like a Jezebel, could be you know, it could be a parent, it could be a spouse, it, it could be, you know, a boss, it could be somebody that you have a relationship, you know, with that is, oppresses, oppresses you, and they're not safe, and what happens, you can actually find yourself oppressed by that person, what they carry, even if you grew up in a love bond, and that was your normal way of that particular thing, there's some oppression that happens with that. Is this making sense to anybody? Okay. So what we can do, we can recognize that this is not the way of God, and God wants you, to real you, to begin to come up and to rise up and really not live your life based upon the oppression that other people put on you. And especially if there's a demonic spirit that's really harassing you, Not to say you're demonized because of that, but it's simply to say that the enemy has simply just, it's a demonic oppression that he's put upon you, okay? And you can break that, we can break that thing off. So, that's what this particular prayer does. Uh, I was in England, we we taught this, and one of the guys in England, he's like in the downtown mission part, you know, works on people on the street in London, and uh after I taught this, about a, about a year later, I saw him in, in a, a reading at a leader's advance. He came up to me. He says, we use this prayer more than any other prayer to get and see results. <laughs> a lot of these people, they just, they just left life because they lived under the fear bonds. And he said, we've seen more people come into freedom with this. So let's stand. <laughs> We're going to do it together whether you need to or not. All right, repeat after me. I will live in perfect love that cast out all fear. I cast off the yoke of domination. I now choose to forgive this person. I break the power of the words over me. I break the victim spirit off of me. I rebuke the fear of man that I have lived under. And I cancel my bond to them. I, bond to them. I, take I take back my true identity. I will not live under oppression. I, will not live under oppression. I, receive, my I receive my Father's love. I am now free, am now free to, live to live and to love. Okay. Be seated. That last phrase, "I'm free to live and the love's not in your," the prayer there, but I like to add that one, and you can too if you want to. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk the uh, last page here. Let's talk about breaking generational curses and living in generational blessing. Sometimes doors are opened up to a person's life, not by something that they did, but something that's up a generational line. God created the generations to be a highway of blessing. God is a God of generations. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's a reason why he put in the generations, because God is the one who, who, who designed the generational to be like a highway of blessing that would come down to us. And in that highway of blessing, God would ordain that we would walk in a greater anointing than any previous generation. In fact, we would, run, we would walk in a multi generational anointing, not a single generational anointing. For example, when we look in, in the Old Testament, and you have when, when they, they anointed these high priests for the first time, Aaron got the high priestly robe, his sons got robes, but they weren't the high priestly robe. But Aaron got the high priestly robe. He was anointed with the, you know, as, as the high priest. The oil flowed down off of his head. It flowed off of his beard. And it said it flowed into his robe. And it's, I think there's a reason why it specifically gives all of that there. When Aaron dies, then it gives it to his son, uh, Eliezer. Eliezer then has the high priestly robe. When they anoint him as high priest, the oil flows down off of his head, flows off of his beard, flows into that robe. Now, now Eliezer has the fragrance of his anointing and the fragrance of his father's anointing. He dies, Phineas gets it. Same thing happened. And when that flows down, now he has the, his own anointing, his father's anointing, and his grandfather's anointing. And you see, that is the way God designed that we would walk in the blessings of all the previous generations. God, We cannot win the world with a single generational anointing. We have to walk in a a multi-generational anointing. And God's blessing flows for a a thousand years. So God wants us to live in that place of, of, of his blessing. Okay? Now, that generational highway, the enemy also takes advantage of that. Because he wants to shut down that generational blessing. And he actually wants to bring a curse upon us that would come from... Because that highway is there for blessing. It is always also a highway that was used for cursing. Just looking at at, uh, this verse in Numbers chapter 14, verse 18. It's also found in the the Ten Commandments in the book of of Exodus chapter 20. He says this, that the Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and, regret and, and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on, on the children to the third and the fourth generations. In other words, there's, there's sin that will come down from generation to generation. And the enemy will actually, because he's a legalist, and if, and if he can find a loophole, and use it, he'll do it. And this is one that he will actually will actually use. How many know that the devil doesn't play fair? Now, this one is kind of close to home because I had a generational spirit. Uh, we would call it a familiar spirit because it came down our family line. I had a spirit of rage. And I was born with this. Now, my grandfather, he had a spirit of rage. His name was Joe Howard. And he had this, his rage. We don't know if his dad had rage or not because his dad, he never knew his dad. His dad was murdered when he was one years old. Butcher knife right down the middle of his head. Somehow, I think maybe rage might have been involved in that one. <laughs> you know, just guessing there. Uh, but, he, but he had this, this thing of rage. His son, Joe Howard Jr., had a spirit of rage. In fact, he was actually institutionalized. Because of it early in his life he had a car wreck and was, they were in a you know auto accident so they were they, they spent their life blaming that you know for for this rage but what happened is for him it got worse and worse and worse and when we, he would go into this rage they actually had to work on a plan you know they lived out on the farm and so they had to work on a plan to be able to, to get you know my grandpa in to kind of calm him down so whenever going into this rage there you know, my, 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 my mom would take my two younger, the, the two younger boys, you know, to the field, my uncles into the field. And, and then, you know, my aunt, was well, she'd go out into the field and she'd grab grandpa who'd come in. And he would, for a while, he was able to talk him down. But then it got to the place he could no longer talk him down. And the only way he can just shut down the rage was to hit him so hard as to knock him out. And that's when they institutionalized him, which was not a place, a good place to be in the 1930s. By the way, God did heal my Uncle Joe. He wrote my grandparents and said, come get me. God has healed me. My grandparents said, no, we're not going to do that, you know. But then there were two great aunts, praying aunts, both in their 90s, mostly blind, who bombarded heaven... And without knowing anything, just from the word of the Lord, wrote my parents and said, go get, go get Joe. God has told us that he's healed him. Wow. And God had healed my, my Uncle Joe, probably because those praying ants, you know. God did heal him, and he came back, and he was fine. Well, that came down the Howard line, my mom's side. My, my name is Rodney Howard Hogue. It's like I got the family name, and I got the family demon." It's like all my whole life I had this rage. I was born with this rage. My mom was able to control it because she was able to speak the Scripture to it. She would actually just, you know, when I'd come into this thing, she'd just speak that word, the Word of God over me. And I remember just getting so furious on the inside but could do absolutely nothing because of the Word of God that was spoken over me. I got more spankings than all of my siblings put together. My kindergarten teacher told my mom, I wore out more fly swatters on Rodney than I ever wore out on any other kid. Back when you could do that, we did <laughs> have a, <laughs> we had a kindergarten in our church. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it was, it was, I got more spankings in public school. My last spanking was when I was in 11th grade. <laughs> it was, it was bad. Uh, I learned to utilize rage when I played sports. You know, football paid my way through college. Uh, But I'll have to say this that having rage and pastoring a church do not go well together. (laughs) And it was during that time, I think it was actually, you know, in the the summer of 82, uh, I had a deliverance in 81. That's how I kind of got into this stuff, because God set me free. And it was the summer of 82 that actually I got rid of this. And this was the hardest one for me to get rid of, and that's because it became my friend. You can actually control your world around you. You control others and things like that when rage is there. And it was the hardest thing to get rid of because I really had to want it to go. God wasn't letting it go until I really wanted it to go, and, uh, and, he, he, and he set me free. But this is how we explain a lot of times when something comes into a child. Sometimes, like, what did that child do? They might have been exposed to something. They might have been exposed to evil or something like that that opened up the door, but a lot of times it may have just come through, through a generational line. It's not right. It's wrong. In fact, you know, if you just go to the book of Ezekiel chapter 18, it's like, this. it's a real injustice. But like I said, the enemy doesn't play fair. He just takes advantage. So what happens is that there can be an agreement that takes place in another generation, either by choice, by, in other words, that they did it. They did it purposely or intentionally or simply just did it by constant use. They actually come into an agreement, and the enemy basically says, okay, I will begin to afflict succeeding generations. And sometimes it's not necessarily the next generation. It could actually be the third or the fourth generation. Okay? Now, let's, let's look at this uh, passage in Isaiah chapter 28. Let's read the, the first couple of verses there. This happens to be a messianic passage. I just used the New Century Version. Because I think it kind of helps understand this. It says, verse 14 says, So listen to the Lord's message, you who brag, you leaders in Jerusalem. You say, we have, a, we have an agreement with death. We have a contract with death. When terrible punishment passes by, it won't hurt us. Our lives will keep us safe and our tricks will hide us. So what that is saying there is because there's a covenant and there's a contract, that thing is actually giving protection to punishment. Because there's been a, an agreement or a contract, okay? So the question is, how long does God honor a covenant that is not His? And in other words, how long does God honor, you know, uh, honor a covenant that He did not initiate, that is not even His? Well, to, to find that answer, we can actually just or see that illustrated in the Word. We can go back to the book of Joshua chapter 9. And in Joshua chapter 9, there was this they're the Gibeonites. Remember the Gibeonites. So you know God told them to go take the land, and when He said, "When you take the land, do not make any agreement or any covenant with anybody in the land," because I want you to clear out all of those inhabitants. Well, one of the tribes in that land happened to be the Gibeonites. They saw the writing on the wall, and they said, "We've got to, we've got to deceive these people into coming to a contract with us, into a covenant with us." So what they did is, is that they they got the oldest the oldest, rattiest clothes that they could find. And they got the most stainless bread, hardest stainless bread they could find. And they come and they make their way over to, to Joshua and they say, Joshua, we've heard about you and we would like to make an agreement, cut a, make a covenant with you. And Joshua said, well, he, he, one thing, he didn't inquire of the Lord, which he should have. He, that got him into trouble a couple of times. He, he, he said, you guys don't live in the land, do you? And he goes, oh, no. These clothes, they were brand new when we started our journey. This bread, it was fresh out of the oven. Oh, we live long, long, long ways. So Joshua, made a covenant with these people, and then he finds out they live over the hill. So the next thing that happens is that these five kings found out what the Gibeonites did, and they go to war against the Gibeonites. So what does the Gibeonites do? Joshua, we have a covenant. The kings are coming against us. Now, of course, I'm thinking, you know, that, that, was, that was a wrong covenant. I mean, you guys deceived us. It wasn't legitimate. But no, they had made a covenant. They had made an agreement before God, and therefore, they, they, were, they had to honor that. So they went to war with the Gibeonites against those five kings. They had this massive battle, and that's where it says that the sun actually stood still for one day so that they could finish the battle, and they defeated the five kings. Okay, now fast forward. Uh, fast forward to uh, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 21. Now David is king. And, and as David is king, he, he, uh, he, he's experiencing a drought. There's been like a three-year drought, and it's getting really, really bad. And so David inquires of the Lord, to the prophet, you know, like, what's going on? Why are we in this drought? And the Lord says, the reason the drought is here is because Saul broke the covenant with the Gibeonites now think about it how many generations between Joshua and David about 500 years of generations God still honored this this covenant and Saul the previous king had broken that covenant so David goes to the Gibeonites and he says okay how can we make this right and they said this they said give us seven descendants of Saul So David gave them seven descendants of Saul, but it it also says he would not give them Mephibosheth. Now, Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan, the grandson of Saul. And Jonathan was one that David had a covenant with. So in other words, there was another covenant that was a greater covenant that that superseded any previous covenants. So therefore... Jonathan uh, Mephibosheth was protected by David's covenant with Jonathan. So in other words, that other covenant was in effect until a greater covenant came. And when that greater covenant came, that uh, previous covenant had no right to him because of the other covenant that happened. Are you kind of getting the picture here? Okay. That we... We have a greater covenant because we've entered into a blood covenant with the Messiah, Jesus, sealed by the blood of Jesus. There is a greater covenant that now covers us and protects us that's greater than any covenant that was made in our behalf. Okay, let's look at at the rest of these verses. Because of these things, this is what the Lord says. I put a stone in the ground in Jerusalem, a tested stone. He's talking about the Messiah here, okay? Everything will be built on this important and precious rock, or literally cornerstone. Anyone who trusts in it will never be disappointed. And I will use justice as a measuring line and goodness as a standard. The lies you hide behind will be destroyed as if by hail; They will be washed away as if in a flood. Your agreement with death will be erased and your contract with death will not help you. And when terrible punishment comes, you will be crushed by it. In other words, I don't care what kind of previous covenant that you have. When the Messiah comes, we're going to crush anything you've been hiding behind. So in other words, any covenant that's been made in your behalf... You're, you have the right to take it out, to break it, and to abolish it. Now, some wonder this, well, shouldn't this be automatic when I give my heart to Jesus? Well, you need to understand, when you give your heart to Jesus, there's some things you get to experience automatically, and there's some things you have to fight for it with the promises of God. I mean, for example, you know, whenever you give your heart to Jesus, you're forgiven? That's automatic. You're going to go to heaven? That's automatic. That's automatic. You become a new creature, a new creation, that's, that's automatic. But there's a lot of the promises that you fight for. I mean, even though you are this new creature, you're simply walking out in this process of taking off the old and putting on the new. And there are a lot of promises that God gives you. I mean, what if he gives you a prophetic word? Are those automatic or some of those do you have to pray into, have to cooperate with and push in for? It? Okay, this is going to be one of the ones that, you, that requires enforcement. In other words, you have to enforce it. Illegally, it is yours. It now belongs to you. But the enemy, because of that loophole, he's going to try to stay there because he thinks you're not going to do anything about it. But now we can say, no, that's not right. Any covenant or contract made in my behalf that's been coming down to me that's giving protection to the enemy... Lord, I want you to just look into my ancestry right now. And I want you to see, if, are there any covenants? Are there, are there any contracts? Is there anything that is giving, giving right to the enemy? You know, and, and he says here, he says, I'm using justice as a measuring line. You know, goodness or righteousness as the standard. In other words, I'm putting those against every covenant. And if it, they're righteous, if they're good, if they're from you, God, I want those to come down my generational lines. But if they're not from you? We're going to break those off. So what we're going to do, we're going to take authority over those generational curses. Now, even though sometimes we find that generational stuff going back to maybe 10 generations, uh, most of it, I think, would happen in the third and fourth, because that is what it says in the Word. That's what we're going to do. We're going to start off with the fourth generation. It's going to feel repetitive because it's going to be repetitive. But we're going to start off, we're going to pray this particular prayer, and we're going to do it with the, third, with the fourth generation. We're going to break everything that's been made in our behalf, and then we're going to basically you know, open up the, uh, the, the blessing lines, and then we're going to do it for the third generation, the second generation, first generation, and then we're going to basically do it you know, for, our, for our descendants here. Okay? Okay? And then, you know, as as we finish it, we're we're going to pull into ourselves because now what we've done, we've opened up the generational highway that is our inheritance. Now, an inheritance is not something you work for, you simply receive. An inheritance, what was earned in a previous generation, it was fought for in a previous generation, bought and paid for in a previous generation. You know, you aren't supposed to re-earn what already belongs to you. It is an inheritance. You know, it's like the prodigal son. When he comes back, he lives on the farm. That, that was part of his inheritance. You know, no, he owned everything on the farm. That was his inheritance. So you have an inheritance that you don't have to earn that was already bought and paid for by a previous generation. And some of those people up your generational line may have been scoundrels. In other words, they may not have been righteous people themselves, but they still carried the potential of that inheritance, even if they never claimed it. So what we're going to, we're going to call down what they should, even if they didn't receive it, you're going to receive it. What they didn't take, you're going to take it. Even if they weren't righteous people, it was still theirs to claim. So we're going to claim regardless if they're righteous or if they're holy or what, it doesn't, or unholy, I mean if they were just these, one of the worst you know, ungodly people in the world. You know, involved in witchcraft or something like that. There was still a righteous inheritance that was theirs to claim, and so we're going to take that for ourselves. Every blessing. Some of you never got the parents' blessing. You never got your, you know, your grandparents' blessing. We're going to bypass them and just get it (laughs) for your for your possession. Are we good? Let's stand. When you look at your family lines, if you see certain physical conditions that's come down, like diabetes, heart problems, things like that, or alcoholism, or something like that, when you look and you see that, a lot of these are just familiar spirits that just come down family lines, and we can actually now legislate in heaven and begin to break those things off, okay? Let me pray for you first before we, before we do that. And by the way, let me just say, one of the ways that the enemy shuts those things is that if, if, we, if we've made judgments against our parents or our grandparents, so right as we start this stuff, if you need to forgive them, release them, okay? Open up that highway, Just let them go. In fact, bow your heads right now. If there's somebody, you know, don't don't say it out loud, but if you need to forgive your parents or your grandparents for sinning against you, that judgment is simply shutting off the blessing. So just release them now. Put them in the hands of Jesus. Just forgive them, okay? Don't let them have power over you. If you struggle with that, get that book on forgiveness. You know, work it through. So just take a moment and do that, and then I'll pray for you. Then we'll do this prayer together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we have a blood covenant with you. We thank you that we have a blood covenant with you that supersedes, that overrides any previous covenant that has been made in our behalf. And Lord, we just want you now to open the books of our past, of every covenant that was made by our forefathers, that they entered into in our behalf, that's giving protection, Lord, to the demonic and the darkness that's around us. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you would just look at these. If they're not absolutely just and righteous, then we ask you to begin to, to we ask you to annul them and release off of us any affliction of the demonic that would come upon us and harass us. So we're going to start off with the fourth generation. So just repeat after me. In the name of Jesus, I declare the blood of Jesus to stand between me, to stand between me and, the and the fourth generation as a wall of separation. As a wall of separation. I, cancel every of I cancel every assignment of darkness. I remove every right of the demonic, right of the demonic. to afflict me because of, the sin of the because of the sin of the fourth generation. And I call to me. Call to me my, righteous my righteous inheritance. And blessings of the fourth generation. The the fourth generation. Okay, we'll do, we'll do the third generation, which is our great grandparents. In the name, of Jesus, In the name of, Jesus, the of Jesus. I declare the blood of Jesus. To stand between me. Stand between me and the third generation. And the as a, As a wall of separation. I cancel every sign of darkness. I remove every right of the demonic. To afflict me. Because of the sin of the third generation. And I call to me. I call to me my, righteous my righteous inheritance. And blessings of the third generation. Okay, the, our grandparents, that's our second one, generation there. In the name of Jesus, I declare the blood of Jesus to stand between me, to stand between me and, my and my grandparents as a wall of separation. As a wall of separation. I cancel every sign of darkness. I, of darkness. I, remove right of I remove every right of the demonic to afflict me, to afflict me because of my grandparents' sin. And I call to me call to my, righteous my righteous inheritance and the blessings of my grandparents. Okay, let's do our parents. In the name of Jesus, name of Jesus, I, declare of Jesus I declare the blood of Jesus to stand between me, stand between me and, my and my parents as a wall of separation. As a wall of separation. I cancel every sign of, of darkness. I remove every right of the demonic. To afflict me, to afflict me because, of because of my parents' sin. And I call to me, call to me my righteous inheritance, my righteous inheritance. And, the my and the blessings of my parents. Okay, let's do our, our descendants. In the name of Jesus, I declare the blood of Jesus to stand between me, stand between me and, my children, and my children, and my grandchildren, my great grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, and all my descendants. And all as a, wall of As a wall of separation. I cancel every sign of darkness. I remove every right of the demonic. To afflict my descendants. To afflict my descendant because because, of, my because sin. of my sin. And I give my descendants. I give my, descendants my righteous inheritance. My righteous inheritance and, blessing. and blessing. Now I just want you just to hold, open your arms up. just put your hands in a posture of receiving because we've just opened up the generational highway of blessing to come to you for a thousand generations the Lord just he just brings that Psalm 105.8, he's remembered his covenant forever, his word, he, which he commanded to a thousand generations. There are things that are your inheritance now that he wants to begin to pour onto you. There are giftings up your family lines. For some of you, there's there's seers and prophets up your family line. Others, you there's there's evangelists, or there's apostles, or there's teachers. Now, just let it, just receive right now. You don't do anything for inheritance. You just, you just receive inheritance. You don't have to pray. You don't have to, do, just receive it now. There's some giftings up there, there's some anointings that were bought and paid for in a previous generation that belongs to you. The enemy has keep, been keeping this from you. And now God is going to be pouring it on you. Just receive. Just receive some of you, there's, there are healers up your family line. If, if your hands just start to get hot, you know, that means there's some healers up your family line and God's going to begin to pour that gifting out to flow in you on a regular basis. So if your feet begins to burn or get hot, you know, there's, there's that evangelist thing that's on you. Your ears, are, are your lips, there's that the hearing the Lord, there's that seeing, there's that prophetic if those things begin to get warm, I mean, that is the Lord putting it on you. And it's like, you know, I just sense it. It's just like I see in the Spirit. There's these storehouses up in heaven that have been locked away that is your family inheritance that belongs to you. And the angels just, they're coming. They're coming. It's, this is Bethel. It's the place. It is the house of God. It is the place where the angels ascend and descend. That prophetic name that you have, this is the place the angelic is now going into. They're coming to the storehouses of heaven and coming right now and just depositing things inside of you. Some of you, you're just going to wake up tomorrow or in the next few days. All of a sudden, you're gonna, just going to hear things you never heard before in the spirit because there's seers up your line, family line. You're going to see angels, some of you, that you've never seen, them, but you're going to see them. Some of you who are teachers, you're going to begin to fall in love with this Word. It's like, I don't know, I just can't get enough of reading it. I can't get enough of it. So just receive. Receive. Rece- More, Lord. More of you. More of those gifts. Some of you feel feeling like maybe even drops just falling on the top of your head. Okay, that's just anointings. Anointings up your family line that, that belong to you. Somebody else bought and paid for it, but it is your inheritance. Just receive. I mean, just think about it. There could have been this little old lady in this shack a thousand years ago who had an encounter with God, and and in her prayer time, he spoke to her and says, your descendants shall, and prophesied to her of her descendants, and, and he was talking about you. That's you. That's you. The power of God. Just increase it, Lord. Increase it. Increase it. Gifts, anointing. There's some of you in here that have an anointing for business, but you've not been able to make it succeed because the enemy keeps stealing from you, but it's up your family line. And the Lord's breaking off that curse that has come down in order that your inheritance, that you will be successful in business. Others of you, he's going to be giving you downloads just in the, just in the days to come, downloads of things that you need. Solutions to problems. Because that's your inheritance. Increase it, Lord. Just receive, okay? Just receive. Just like sacks of gold are just coming into your hands. I mean, the precious things of heaven are flowing through your hands. They're flowing through your heart. They're flowing over your head. Just receive. God never intended this world to be one with a single generational anointing. He needs multiple generational anointings. But the enemy has been stealing from us. He's stolen from us. And we need to take back sevenfold what the enemy has taken. And walk in greater anointings. If you can look up your family tree and you can see it, it is yours. Some of you have warriors, liberators up your family line. Some of you have famous people who changed the world up your family line. That's what you can do, it's your inheritance. Now just receive. Just receive. We spent just a lot of this morning just breaking things off of you. Breaking off the curses. Breaking off everything the enemy has tried to put on you to keep you from walking it out. Just that we can come into this moment so that you can receive what heaven has for you. Lord, just open up those storehouses. Everything that belongs to us, Lord, we want it now. We want it now. All the enemy has taken. All that we, that's been shut up. All of the debris that has been on that highway of blessing from our generations, Lord, you just cleared out the debris. Now, Lord, now, Lord, more of you, more of you.